I mean, we've we have reached the "I love you" band section of the pod <laughs> of the podcast. I'm a I'm a back patter. You're listening to the You're Smarter Than Us podcast, Asheville's premier soccer podcast. Welcome back to another episode of You're Smarter Than Us. Ladies and gentlemen, I am extremely excited to have a pair of fantastic guests with us. One that we've known and one that is new to the podcast. Um, this is a, a gentleman who... When, when I first met him, we butted heads. We battled. We, we brought blood to the soccer wars. And whereas he is a fighter for the uh, downtrodden, he's a bleeding liberal. You might even venture out to say that he's a socialist. He also supports the underdogs of the sporting world, like the Yankees, the Steelers, Manchester City. Colton, how are you, sir? Oh, you know, I'm excellent just sitting over here enjoying my, you know, various trophies, just ensuring that my side, you know, has a little bit, you know, just a, but a bit of metal on its, you know, shelf. Colton for the little man. We also have Jim with us. How are you, Jim? That's all I get. <laughs> I take that's it you're well. For the, that's all I get for the intro. Yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, um, I have put this brain trust together um, on the back of recent pop culture happenings to go over what can only be described as soccer stonks. We are going to go over the various professional leagues across the uh, U.S. landscape and debate amongst ourselves if we are buying, if we are selling, or if we are shorting stonks put that coffee down coffee's for closers only <laughs> you think i'm fucking with you colton i'm gonna start with you because you are our our new flesh wet behind the ear guest on you're smarter than us and colton are you buying selling or shorting stock in the nwsl Ooh, I get I get a lot of uh, nice attention here. This is this is good. I'm enjoying this, um, especially at Jim's expense. Um, so NWSL, let's talk about that. Um, I would have to say, first take, I am buying. I am buying because of the general rising tide of women's soccer in this country. I think. You know, the level of investment in the U.S. has always been higher than other countries, even other soccer-developed countries, England, France, um, Spain's getting there. But, you know, the U.S. has always sort of been at the forefront of that. And uh, I think we've seen that really ramp up uh, with a little bit more attention following the the World Cup in France um, in 2019. The, you know, new teams coming in via expansion, your Sacramentos, your Louisvilles, all seem like, you know, really, really strong operations that are going to be good for the league overall. You know, I think breaking that USSF relationship, um, while maybe, you know, it's a hurt in the short term, right? Because you're not getting sort of that subsidization. Um, long term, fantastic. It's what needed to happen. And it'll help, you know, the game grow by leaps and bounds more quickly as, you know, you, Gem and I have often discussed. It's, you know, the USSF has a tendency to do more harm than good. Um I think that's, you know, more, more uh, incompetence 
Uh, I think Jim sides more on malevolency. Um, but either way, I think it makes it more difficult. And I think getting out under that thumb, the NWSL has a lot of room in front of it to grow. There's a lot of markets it's not in yet, and there's a lot of ownership groups that are now suddenly paying, you know, a lot closer attention to the to the women's side of the sport in this country. Jim, uh, the same the NWSL. Yes, sir. Yeah, I think I would be buying too. I, I there's some for me. There's some caution though in this, and and I I, I don't disagree with really anything that Colton said. And in many, and I guess in many ways, my concern might not be. I mean, you know, the U.S. as a soccer market seems to be insular, right? We we seem to think that uh, we're all over here by ourselves, and and nothing else really impacts us that much. I think the European women's game is going to impact NWSL, and I think if they do not, if they don't prep for that. Um, that I, I I would not buy, but I have to think that they they see this coming. That they they know there's the talent, and also just the the amount of talent in the United States in the women's game has got to mean something uh, for the league. And like Colton said, there's a lot of growth opportunities uh, in markets around. So maybe if you don't, if you if you think you could ignore Europe, it's definitely I'm very bullish on it, but. Um, I'm a little concerned uh, about the the European threat for, to draw talent away if the big if the big teams decide to really get serious uh, about about women's soccer in Europe. Jim, I've heard you speak um, both being Arsenal fans of kind of lamenting the advantage Arsenal has seeded in the uh, mm-hmm. league over there to what seems like the other traditionally men's big six that are catching up for a lack of a better way to describe it. And they, they aren't bolstering their um, roster. They, they seem, you know, even coach Joe seems to maybe kind of be losing his edge in terms of um, uh, tactics and things of that nature. Do you worry that the perception is the NWSL riding the high of being the best league in the world and on the back of the success of the U S women's national team. And if that begins, if the rest of the world just in general catches up with the women's game, does the American egotism of we're the best at something, does that start to erode also? And does that affect NWSL in your opinion? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I hear people say there's there's no really way, I mean, there's no really way to say what's the best women's league. Now, I I I would tend to agree that the the play in NWSL is is probably better than than any other league in the world. So I, I'll seed that, but I I don't know in the future if the talent goes to Europe, the NWSL will still consider themselves the best. I mean, because. I, I think I think our women's program is always is going to be the best for a, a, a long time, and so people will associate the women's national team and NWSL. I, I mean, I just don't I don't think there's they'll they will not differentiate between the two. So you know, I, I can yeah. can the league survive two or three World Cups without a without a win with with mm-hmm. public perception maintaining at a high with Budweiser still buying into the league 
with um, Serena Williams, Naomi, you know, all, all of the celebrity uh, momentum that's behind it. Does it survive? If the women's team doesn't win a World Cup in 12 years? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it does. I, mean, I, I think it does. I think it. I think it may hurt. I think it may hurt the league, but I think it survives. I think there's enough momentum built in. Now, if if the if the women's program suddenly just tanks and stops making World Cups, which is not going to happen, I, uh, I maybe, but uh, you know, I we went a while without one, and you know, the again the 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 depth of talent. Well, I guess what you're what you're alluding to is not really the talent; it's the interest of the fans and supporters. Mm-hmm. I I just yeah, I, I think I think there's enough momentum right now that it would it would ride for a little bit, um, and and I think also the growth of of Europe would also uh, pay dividends for uh, for the league in the states. Colton, does the possibility of a women's lower league ensure the future of the NWSL? You know. I guess it sort of depends on, and I know we've had this conversation before, right? What what direction the NWSL takes, right? Do they their current model is based around sort of this a similar model to USL? It's a franchise model. Teams buy a spot in the league. Um, they don't. They're not owned by the league like MLS. But you know, if NWSL sees the value in the business side of MLS and moves that way, I don't think what happens in the lower divisions here really matters as much. Um, I think if they go the USL route and try to make a coherent pyramid, it's a bit of a different story, especially since they're already the top flight, whereas USL is trying to do it from you know the second division down. Um, it, it's, it's possible then that the lower division impacts it. I think the bigger impact is, is something that Jim was getting at there, right, which is the, the sort of rise of the European giants in this area, the, the you know, FA Women's Super League, um, really starting to draw a lot more notoriety, a lot more attention. And you're seeing some players starting to defect over there that would normally be NWSL players, right? It's not a lot yet. I think out of like, you know, the recent, say, 40 or, or so players called up, there are four or five offhand that I can think of that are in Europe right now, you know, either with Manchester City or with Lyon or with Man United, with Kristen Press, right? But the majority of those U.S. women's national team players are still in the NWSL. And I think you you asked the question, could it survive the U.S. women's national team not winning a World Cup for several cycles? Um, and I think it could. I think the bigger question is, would it be able to survive the U.S. women's national team predominantly playing overseas instead of in the U.S.? Mm-hmm. Right. If you don't have the American the big American names playing for the big American clubs, are people still going to go see the Washington spirit? They'll go see the red stars. They'll go see the, the thorns. They'll go see the, the pride. Are they going to see the spirit? Are they going to see sky blue? I don't know. I I'm not, I'm not sold on that. I think that the U S women's national team players will stay here for now and for the foreseeable future, which is why I'm buying. But I think that's really the big question. And maybe having a lower division structure would help sort of, up-and-coming U.S. women's national teamers stay in the U.S.? Because right now it's, you know, it's go to college and then either get drafted or mm-hmm. go overseas. Um, and that's starting to become a disadvantage to the NWSL, right? We saw that with with Katarina Macario, right? Um, 
And if there's a place for Katarina Macario to go at 18 instead of mm-hmm. graduating Stanford and going overseas, maybe that helps them stay here. So potentially, I think that that could be a shifting point. So I am also buying. I will add the caveat that I do not actually believe that the NWSL will continue their just meteoric just rise that is going through the roof with commercial revenues and um, TV ratings and everything that is behind them right now. If the U.S. women's national team does not continue to win World Cups or at least compete, I think it if they make finals, if they make semifinals and they are if the finals are hard, hard fought and they lose to a Japan, if they lose to an England, if they create these national rivalries that we used to see in, um, you know, men's national team. You know, the Italy, France's, the Eng- England, Germany's. If, if we develop those and we occasionally lose them, I don't think we're, we're looking at a, a downfall there. But if it becomes uncompetitive, if it is a knockout in the quarterfinals, if it is a slow descent into um, the U.S. women's national team not being able to create stars, because I, I truly do believe that's what the NWSL is riding on at the moment, is truly stars. Because it's not just stars in terms of what's happening on the pitch. It's stars in terms of social justice impact. It is stars of curse, uh, commercial revenue um, and, and what they're producing. It is role models that are being produced. And this is not to suggest that young men and young women won't look up to these athletes if they don't win. I, that's not what I'm suggesting. What I do believe, though, is that we are in the depths And I hope we are not at the tail end of a generation of women that has fundamentally changed soccer in this country. And if that bypasses, if if that moves on without them being replaced, I think there's going to be a challenge. The future of the NWSL lies not in... Now that most of the major metropolises have been populated with teams, I I really do believe the future lies in the Sacramentos, in the, this is going to sound so silly, but in the Tulsas, in the, you know, in the flyover states, in the places that are not, um, that, that don't already have major four sport men's teams. That's where the NWSL lives because those are the cities that I believe have the um, desire and drive to see what is half their population succeed and be represented in professional sports. Um, And and I, you know, I I will continue to fall back on this. If you look at the two major um, before they've expanded out the two major women's sports, um, women's soccer attendance records, it's Asheville and Tulsa. These are not traditional sports towns that that just would knock you on your butt. And I think that's going to be um, promoted forward. That's going to be perpetuated forwards. So I, I am buying because the future is bright, but I'm, I'm going to keep an eye on the NWSL. And if they, that they have the chance to 
set the record it, it's straight. They have the chance to change the way that soccer is perceived in this country. They have the way to, um, they have the chance to, the opportunity to do it right, to do what MLS, to do right what MLS did wrong. I hope they do it. I hope they have the temerity. I hope they have the bravery. I hope they have the hubris to just lay it out on the line and say, no, this is the way we're going to do this because this is how you should have done it. Is there an intertwined mess with USSF? Does does some start to look at some of these numbers and start to want to get involved? I, I don't know, but I'm buying now, but I'm keeping an eye on it. The point is, ladies and gentlemen, that greed, for lack of a better word, is good. Greed is right. Greed works. All right. Um, Jim. Yes. Are you buying, selling, or shorting USL? Yeah, I knew I knew I knew that you would come to me first for that. Um gosh. And this is being recorded, right? So I won't I'm not gonna be able to get away from this. <laughs> <sighs> so you're take so this is this is the whole kit and caboodle. This is championship league one, league two if they go into the women's game, the whole, I mean, since it's all one, one entity, you're, you're asking me the whole thing. Yes, sir. And it's merely a financial decision. Don't pass judgment on the morality of their business operation. But if, if I gave you a, a certain amount of money and asked you, you know, what, what do you want to do with it out of these three options? What would you do with USL for the immediate future? Obviously not long-term. Yeah, so I'm yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna put a I'm gonna preface this by saying I, I I think I'm buying overall U.S. soccer first of all, um, but yeah I would right now yeah I would buy um, I would buy USL for the short term, um, you know I think um, you know I I think they have shown some degree of, uh, sustainability. Um, and, um, you there? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. I, I, you cut out for, you cut it on me. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I think in the, I, I would buy, I, I do, I do think that there is, there's growth at, at the, at the league one level. I'm a little concerned and I've, I've said this before. I'm a little concerned what happens when uh what happens to championship owners when the door to mls is shut so I, I i don't know enough about the the and i know i would imagine colton has a better a better opinion of this than i would you know how many of how many of them how many folks are in you or were still in usl because they that they think that's a way to show that they're they're, they've got it going good enough to get to MLS, and if that door is shut, is it worth is it worth staying in a in a D two league? I still I still don't really understand why somebody would start a D two um, men's team when you could get into D three, and I, I just don't I don't see the um, the added benefit to that or added value right now without especially without 
um, pro- promotion relegation and all that, you know, all that stuff. So yeah, I'm, but still I would say I'm buying, I do, I do think there's, there's growth opportunities there. Um, I will probably get into this later when we go, when we go outside of the, outside of USL, but I also think that there's potential for, uh, unifying, um, you know, different leagues. So I, yeah, I think, I think I would buy. Colton. So Jim touched on a few points that, that I want to get on there, but I'm going to start by saying simply it's a buy from me. And, and this is funny because you would expect it to be the other way, knowing each of us, mine's a much softer buy than, than what Jim just gave. I would be as far to say as it's almost in, in stonks terms, a pump and dump. I'm, I'm buying expecting immediate <laughs> rise and then I'm getting, getting out because, you know, I think short term, there's going to be expansion. You're seeing some of these championship teams that really have no business being at the D2 level financially um, dropping to USL League One, which is helping sh- one shore up those numbers two get more independent teams down there. But then three opens up more USL championship spots for other independent teams, right? Um, additionally, I think you're seeing a loosening of the sort of franchise rights, right? Because it used to be very, very stiff, right? You bought a USL championship spot and that's where your team was, or you bought a USL League One spot and that's where your team was. And now we've seen North Carolina FC jump that gap off of what's presumably still a USL championship franchise agreement and franchise fee paid. And I think what you're ultimately going to see eventually, and I think this is eventually going to lead to Pro-Rel, don't ask me when, is that that line gets very blurred and the USL system sort of becomes a buy-in, see where you fit, right? And I think that's why I think buy right now. But if you look beyond that immediate short term, there are really two options for USL as as things go. Either the expansion doesn't go quite as planned, things slow down, those revenues slow down a little bit, and then I think those questions that Jim brought up, do you see the same level of investment, knowing that MLS isn't really on the table, which I think is really the truth for most of those independent teams. But there's maybe a couple that are really options, right? San Antonio, Phoenix, but there's you could probably name them on one hand, and the rest of them know they're in D2. Do you see them continue to invest? Um, who knows? But ultimately, either the new expansions aren't going to go well, and then you're sort of in this prolonged battle for the future of the lower divisions with the independent side with Nisa and you know Detroit and Chattanooga and all these you know strong independent teams outside of USL, and you get into this prolonged battle um, over sort of the future of lower divisions. At which point, I think you see some slowdown, or it goes very well for USL. The expansion teams work out brilliantly. All of a sudden, you don't really have any more competition in the lower divisions. Where's your only competition? At the D1 level, at MLS. MLS is never going to open the doors to USL the way USL might do internally. Never. Not part of their business model. So what do you do if you're USL? Do you launch a USL premiere? Try to go D1? Go the, go the long route around to the NASL path and compete against MLS? Or do you sort of stagnate where you are? And either way, I think at that point, you're running into some trouble. So maybe not in the next five years or even the next 10 years, you know, that that's not going to be an issue, but eventually that's going to be an issue. So buy for me, but, you know, I'm, I'm more anxious about where it's going to go long-term than I think I was before. 
Well, I'll, I'll uh, let me add to that. I think I've thought for a while, and and I, the one thing that and Colton, you something you said kind of reminded me of this. I don't know if the if the business model of USL, if the franchise model, can be sustainable really, really long term. Because at some point, I mean, I, I mean, I guess you have to, and and I know you've you've taken issue with my statement um, when I've said this before. I mean, at some point, you have to have you have to have people buying franchises. I mean, that they 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 sell franchises. That's their that's their business. And so, with the current model, if they if if the markets start to dry up, or you have soccer in the markets that that want soccer, and no one's buying franchises, then yeah, there's a real problem. Which is why I kind of say, in some level, hey, I mean, I don't know that they care if a couple of franchises go under every year um, because that leaves that means there's some open spots for other suckers to come in and buy so um, so that that's my one worry if they maintain that same and I'm not going to be as I'm not going to be uh, you know I'm not going to call it a Ponzi scheme or anything like that but if if they if um, if those opportunities or the the markets and, and we're a big country so maybe that will never happen but if 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 the if soccer gets to where soccer needs to be and and there aren't many people buying at the at the at the rate that makes it worthwhile for New Rock, then maybe there's a problem. But I I think there's a solution to that, and that's you know, and I and I don't you know I know that some people think that this is this is not the right way to do it, but you know that's where you know do the clubs own the league and do the do uh, you know do, do we get that out um, and and flip the model around so. I'm still a short. I'm still a buy because I think there's. I think there's growth. But um, yeah, I, I do agree with you. At some point, if if the if the franchises dry up, um, that model's in big trouble. Jim, if we look at USL as a whole, it, all all the different aspects and you know their weird rebranding that they did to mirror the English pyramid or whatever. What does the I, exponential growth of um, USL League Two on which is pretty much the um, you know um, the ship that has the the Carpathia that has come to rescue the uh, survivors that are jumping off the USS uh, NPSL um, what what does the bolstering of League Two mean mean to the league as a whole? I don't think it means a whole lot unless PLS are um, are addressed. The unless there's a change in what and how clubs can move in, to go pro and, and go into a, into a D three. I, I just, I mean, I, you know that that um, the ownership requirement. The I think I think we've got to look at different ways, different ways to structure ownership in the lower in the lower levels for that for that league two to really. Because I I don't see it. I mean I don't know. I mean, I'll ask Colton. Do you see League Two as an incubator for pro teams? I, mean, I don't know that I see mm. that right That's now. That's a great point. Um, and so if if they treated it that way, but, but I mean some of this is you know like you like you say to me often, Tim. It, it's you know it's it's the fault is at the at the federation level, not at the league level. But um, with PLS the way it currently is, it's it's hard to see the growth of League Two really 
meaning a whole lot. And, and that's got me worried, and we'll talk about this later, that's also got me worried for the same incubation that, that other leagues are trying to do with lower with the lower league and amateur teams. Colton, does a USLW affect your opinion about USL as a whole? It does. Um, it does in terms of it maybe pushes some of the worries I have down the line because then you're not solely dependent on USLC, USL1 for that revenue source in this model. Um, all of a sudden, you've got a whole new world of markets to, well, to sell to suckers, like Jim said, right? And and that pushes your timeline for running into trouble way down way down the line. Um, it's, it's a little bit tied to what NWSL tries to do, right? Because if NWSL tries to go the MLS route, does that really, you know, sort of backstab these these lower division efforts before they really get started if you shut that door the same way mls has um i think it does a little bit so you'd have to really see if the nwsl is committed to working towards a full pyramid um if it is then that's that's a whole new world of opportunity for them in terms of revenue so I, I think our, um, I literally just said before we started recording that I don't believe in hot takes and I don't, but I think this is going to be the first one that I think people are going to be a little surprised at. Um, give me enough money and I will short USL. <laughs> Ooh. And I mean this in the sort of reverse engineered um, pump and dump. I will short USL for the next five to seven years and then I'm buying all of the USL stock anybody has. Allow me to explain. USL, I think, had reached a critical mass right before the pandemic. I think right before the pandemic, they realized, I I think USL League One is a result of what um, New Rock, what Alpharetta, what um, Tampa was seeing as maybe not a drop in revenues, but potentially a um, plateauing. I think they they saw the future. They they had their um, palms red. They they pulled out all of the the stops, and they saw that um, MLS was not necessarily going to continue to promote USL clubs that, uh, what is it, 7% expansion fee that drops back down into USL was going to dry up. I I do continue to think MLS is going to expand. Don't get me wrong on that. I just don't necessarily think it's going to continue to come from USL. So League One was the obvious expansion effort. And I, despite all of the um, amazing things that they say about 75 different markets and opportunity zones, and um, I think more so than ever, you're getting the veil pulled off the um, soccer as a real estate development opportunity um, reality. I think you're starting to see also um, the, the very hard facts of the NCFCs, of the clubs that five, six years ago, thought MLS was a possibility, thought that those downtown soccer-specific stadiums were just on the horizon, that the, um, you know, uh, 
solidarity payments or um, the tying of academies into first teams was was just coming along swimmingly. And I think the pandemic has just absolutely dried all of them up. I think um, League One has been an unmitigated disaster thus far. I think by this point, they expected 20 clubs minimum. I think they were expecting... Um, you know, forward and advancement um, uh, championship clubs to just be raiding League One clubs every off season for talent. I think they were already expecting MLS. Uh, this might be a little pie in the sky, but I think they were starting to expect expect MLS to to start to dip into um, local talent rather than continuing to catch. Um, you know what's effectively do D2, D3 talent from overseas. I think the pandemic has completely upended all of this. I, I, to the, to the point that I think even USLW has been upended. I, I, from what I've, you know, between what was reported on the athletic and other things I've read, it is absolutely no doubt coming in at the um, amateur level, but that is a diametric, opposite of the D1 competitor to NWSL, which I don't think was ever realistic, but I do think USL initially thought about a professional women's league coming out of the gate and look at how those changes have already had to happen. So I I don't give me all the Fort Wayne's, all the DeMarcus Beasley's you want, but I think you're seeing those um, NPSL teams, those USL League 2 teams, almost like Jim was just saying, that had designs to go pro just 18 months ago, having to completely check all of those ambitions, having to completely pull things back in and reassess. And that's what League One was depending on, was all of that forward momentum. Not necessarily for the, I mean, goodness gracious, it was like a million or two expansion fees. It wasn't that. It was going to be the airtime on ESPN+. Plus. It was going to be the commercial revenues. It was going to be fitting into those markets such as Greenville, High Point, Asheville, Chattanooga. These, these slightly smaller markets that you're going to be able to create a, you know, for, again, no, no offense out, you know, out there to define it in these terms, but this like minor league baseball product that people actually care about. They're not just going to for the like uh, sumo suit wrestling between the fourth and fifth inning or the hot dog race between the sixth and seventh inning. They actually care what's going on. And those players become part of the community and their supporter groups and there's smoke and there's drums. Soccer at a minor league level, quote unquote, minor league level does something that other sports can't. And that's happening in smaller cities. And all of that's kind of getting pulled back in because there's um, sponsorships that just don't quite want to take that risk. And uh, hospitality and, you know, you know, Asheville is a place uh, that I, you know, in our move to League Two, they mentioned we're going League One. I guarantee you, and I have no insider information about this, but I guarantee you the ownership has completely checked those until League One makes sense and somebody's not traveling out to Tucson, you know, and, and somebody's not traveling up to Madison when it gets regionalized southeast and the travel makes sense. Maybe that's when Asheville does that. There's other Asheville's out there that are going to do that. Moreover, that this, that just like Jim nailed it, 
this uh, trend I think you're going to see of championship clubs dropping in or Colin, you made this point dropping down into League One. What what makes the difference anymore? If if you're seeing that, if you're seeing championship clubs like the Charlotte Independents who obviously want to sell their championship spot and now they live under the um, specter of an MLS team, what, what are they going to do? You know what they could potentially do? They could potentially sell a League One spot. NCFC, they're, they're building this gorgeous downtown stadium, but they're not going to compete at a championship level. They're going to compete at a League One level. I think ownership is going to start to look at that. Ownership is going to start to say, what is the point of competing at a championship level, at a D2 level, if we can do effectively the same thing at, at a D3 level? And... You know, guys, let's just be honest. Madison is is more fun than Pittsburgh. Um, Greenville, as as much as I have some major reservations about Greenville, and I just don't like the city as a whole, Greenville is doing a really good job. They're doing a lot better than the A and or the B and two teams. And that brings me to my next point: What's going to happen when the MLS uh, academies take off and all these B and two teams leave? What does that do to scheduling? What does that do to traveling? It's not going to affect League One as much as it's going to affect championship. So nonetheless, to come back to it, if if we are looking at this in the short, short term, give me the next three seasons, four seasons, I'm shorting USL. And then I'm buying all the stock once they figure it out, once all of the other things kind of land and then USLW happens, because I, I truly do believe USLW is going to be the um, it's the league that has the most potential. It's just sitting there as a shell waiting to crack and waiting to hatch. Um, and when that happens, I'm buying all the USL stock in the world. You have to be closing all the time and be aggressive. Learn how to push. Talk to them. Ask them questions. Ask him rhetorical questions. Doesn't matter. Anything. Just get a yes out of him. Colton, talk to me. Are you buying, selling, or shorting Nisa? Um, God, I feel like I feel like a broken record saying buy, but you know, I think the one commonality we all have here is that we are uh, we're believers in the game here, right? We think that it's it's not always done the right way, and it's in, not always in a great spot, but we we all think the game has a future here, and it's tough to really be down on things when you're when you're when you're that way right um but i'm gonna have to issue my third straight buy um and i i would think that it's i'm I'm not super sold on the buy i'm definitely not shorting it um and i'm not selling it if if there was a hold option i'd almost pick that right i think i i'm in a wait and see pattern almost because i think a year or two ago if you asked me this question i'm shorting it straight up shorting it 100% of the way, you know, it has, it has, at that point, two really, you know, good clubs that are almost their fates are certainly not tied to the league in Detroit and Chattanooga. You have one club who, you know, frankly, who even knows because their owner is somewhere, you know, at a at a nice wine and dine in Italy, um, not paying any attention to them in the cosmos. And then you have a bunch of clubs whose fates are really tied to that of the league, who, if, if Nisa were to go poof tomorrow what are any of those clubs that aren't detroit or chattanooga doing right and so i probably would have been shorting last year however they put on a really good really entertaining fall tournament 
um, that showed some competitiveness from a team in the Michigan Stars that hasn't been competitive to date and showed a little bit of something there. They showed, you know, the LA Force, which struggle sort of off the field, getting their brand out there and, and fandom really built out, but are putting on a pretty good performance on the field. And then all of a sudden you have, and, you know, if I, I hope and pray New Amsterdam can figure it out because I would like to have a team, you know, somewhat close to home in Nisa to, to care about because it sure ain't going to be the Cosmos. Um, then they came in here and they had arguably the best expansion season out of anybody not named the NWSL in bringing in um, the Maryland Bobcats, who I think are really where they are. Uh, they, they have the potential to be another sort of Chattanooga, Detroit type situation where you have a really successful club, very hyper, you know, focused locally that does sort of their own thing and has a very divine brand. I really like what they've done. I really like that all of their signings are, you know, DMV guys, right, from the local area. And they're, you know, successful on field at the levels they've played at. So there's a lot to like there. And then you have Peter Wilt coming back, right? He left, went to USL, came back, and now he's got this Chicago this untitled Chicago project, um, which we'll see what that ends up being called. We, we've all been waiting forever. I'm um, shocked they didn't do like a poll or a tournament to find out what day we find out that. On. I know <laughs> a, a full 64 team like day <laughs> tournament. Um, but Chicago, you know, it's it's we know so little about them. However, I think the StubHub move is really good for a team at their level, assuming they got favorable lease terms, which you would think that they would given the level that they're playing at. That's a good move. And then you still have Peter Wilt there, who I'm not saying he's done everything perfect in his career all the time, but he has launched four successful existing professional teams in the U.S. And two of those are in Chicago. The guy knows how to get a professional team off the ground, and he knows how to have them around for a while, like the Fire and Indy and the Red Stars seem like they're going to be. You know, and Madison so far seems like it's going to be. And that gives them a lot of credence in my eyes. And if they can make Chicago work, which is arguably MLS's weakest market, that's a whole new window of opportunity for Nisa. And so, whereas a year ago I might have been shorting them, now, if, you know, 1904 figures their stuff out a bit, I like Cal United, if 1904, 1904 figures their stuff out a little bit, if the stars, with their sort of dark horse almost, can can um, Papa Yunkai sort of be the Jerry Jones of this league, right? The villain, <laughs> the egotistical maniac who just wants to make it work no matter what and forget everybody else. It, I mean, you could always use a villain, but you have these teams that are now doing some interesting things. I mean, you know, Stumptown's over there, and Jason will be upset at me for saying that, but, you know, Stumptown's <laughs> over there. But you have this core group of teams that's looking a little more interesting every sort of half season they play. And if they can get two or three more of those teams, who's really looking better at that point, USL 1 or NISA? I, I think there's a case that it's Nisa. Jim? Yeah, I'm still in kind of VC mode with Nisa. I mean, it's, you know, it's, I, I think, so I, I would buy. Um, and, and primarily, I think um, this this may conflict with my earlier buy with USL. And I agree, Colton, if there was a hold option, I probably would have held on USL. But I um, I, I would buy, and I, because I, I do think if if we could get in Nisa a couple of more 
you know, I think Tim, you used to say this, or you probably still do say it. If you lose, if you lose, uh, uh, sorry, Jason, a stump town or a 1904, but you replace it with something like a Maryland or a Chicago, you do that a couple of iterations and you suddenly have 10 to 12 pretty solid teams. And if you can get to 10 to 12 solid teams, then you start to wonder how many people are going to look and say, well, I can, I can get into NISA for less money and it's the same level. Am I going to buy into the USL League One side when I can effectively do the same thing and play against some pretty good clubs and some pretty good competition and dump money into my team? Um, I would hope that that would be something that that would be a a, a pitch that would that would um, uh, would ring true to more markets and so. So I, I, you know, we're still very much in a startup mode. I think with, um, with Nisa, but yeah, I'm and, and like, like like Colton said, it's my third buy. Although I would like to go back and and, and maybe you know I'm just going to make a hold option for USL, uh, even though that wasn't in the rules. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm a I'm a buy. I I, I do think that uh, uh, that I I. I do think that Nisa is trying to do things the right way and building relationships with. Now, I, I'm really excited about the the, the regional uh, affiliations, and I'm intrigued by what they want to do with UWS. Um, and, and so, I, I I don't think they're spraying themselves too thin yet. But uh, I, I I'm a buy. I'll just shut up and say I'm a buy. Jim, do you, how how do you feel about that last wave? of expansion um not not the detroits and the chattanoogas but um, new amsterdam maryland uh, wh- what do you feel about those oh i'm 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 um yeah I, I was really happy with you know i we talked with max on uh on our podcast and i really like what they're trying to do um uh, maryland maryland seems to or the md bobcats is as they seem to want to be called themselves i you know, I like where they are. I I really like what they're trying to do. Um, it's diversifying the ownership in NISA, and I think that's a good thing. Um, and then, you know, everybody wants to just kind of throw Peter Wilt's name out there as a as as a, a big redeeming quality for the league. I mean, and he's a name, and the fact that he came back and started a club there certainly did raise some eyebrows, and I think immediately lifted some people's opinion. We'll have to see if that if that uh, that name cachet actually turns into into something good but um yeah i'm i'm very happy with those with those three and if we could get another three like that then yeah i'll, I'll be very bullish on the league colin do you think there's any lasting um, ramifications from the roots in miami fc leaving um not not hugely you know i think i think you know, Silva with Miami FC is always going to do what what he perceives is the best sort of revenue opportunity for his club, and he's always looking, you know, short term, um, just trying to make the best move. And I think at the time, if you can if you can get into USLC at a discount from Nisa, I mean, why not? Right, that slot's you know worth money itself, um, at least for now. So you know, I don't think that's a huge deal. Oakland would have been. I think a nice keep, especially given the difficulties that leagues often face in the western half of the country. 
um, for Nisa, but a similar thing, like, right. How do you, how do you, I know that it's easy for us to sit on the outside and say, um, if you can do the same thing at D3 for cheaper, why not just do that? But there is still currently some inherent value in that D2 spot. Um, and you could theoretically, you know, it's, it's here or there, whether that's going to last right now, if somebody hands that option to you, you, you kind of have to take it. Um, my bigger concern is with Oakland gone um, is that your California teams are iffy. That's the iffiest part of, of Nisa to me right now. I mean, I, I like that, by the way, none of us brought up the Teamsters at all in that entire little thing right there. I have an entire diatribe. <laughs> Thank you for ruining that. <laughs> well, I, I apologize in advance. I'm not I'm, I'm not going to touch on them. You can have that entirely. I don't even want to. Um my, my big gripe is the California teams, because regardless of what the Teamsters do, there will be enough East Coast teams or Central teams to make it work. 1904 is tentative. They already went away once. They're in a market where San Diego Loyal is doing pretty well, and there's no obvious stadium solution in sight. It's concerning. Cal United is probably the strongest of the bunch. They've got a decent brand. They've got a decent fan base, and they play decent soccer. You know, I could see them becoming a sort of staying force there. And then the LA force, speaking of forces is again, really strong on the field, but how are you competing in LA with two MLS teams who are not only fairly successful on the field, I mean, the Galaxy recently, eh, but overall, very successful teams on the field, but they're they're well-loved in that city, and they take up a good amount of the attention, the limited attention that soccer gets. You know, how is LA Force going to go, grow beyond 300 fans at a game, Right. And you have to, to sustain long-term. So how are you going to do that? Um, so if they can figure out the West Coast stuff, I think that's really promising. But I think that's really, that's the turning point for both USL1 and NISA, is if they can solidify the West. Because it could very easily be the Achilles heel of either. I'll let so, you have the Teamsters. It, so so somebody give me some money and then put NISA in front of me. And if we're looking at a sports book or a casino, um, I will distract you. I will pour my drink over um, like a Dave Chappelle skit and I will go running to a roulette table or, or somewhere else that I can just gamble my money on complete chance because it, it was 18 months ago that Jim and I sat on this podcast and we debated Nisa and, and Jim was actually down at the time and I was up and I've done podcasts since then where I've been uh, kind of in the middle and then back up and and all things considered, Nisa is stronger now than they've ever been. And then you have, you know, Matt Whiskey in, in our Slack channel. We, we do actually, there's like 17 of us in the Slack channel if anybody wants to join. And then we debate all things Nisa and kind of independent soccer. And, and Matt makes the point of Nisa's mission statement is if you hit these pars, you're in. And he's right. That's the mission statement. That's the Bob Watkins, Peter Wilt, original manifesto, you know, pro-rel. This is what soccer should look like in this country. You hit these pars. You make PLS as defined by the USSF and you're in our league. Without that vetting, without that... Now, again, let me throw the 
again, caveat in there of um, you can't plan for the Renos. You can't plan for the Lansings. There are um, VC individuals who are going to go in, invest, and then the second they don't see a return or the, you know, USL machine that promised certain things when that doesn't return, when a chamber of commerce doesn't see the foot traffic, when when this doesn't happen, when that doesn't happen, the the plug is pulled. Okay, that, that happens. But when you create an ecosystem where anyone who hits certain pars is allowed in, you end up with the New, New Jersey Teamsters. And I, I don't doubt that 50% of the people listening to this podcast has any idea who the New Jersey Teamsters are. That's almost by design because they are on the NISA website, but they are not a club that anybody is out there promoting, that it's not a club that anybody um, is excited to be associated with um, because this club seems to be the manifestation of a sporting money grab. It, it's a it, the little... Literal origin of this story is a dinner in Brazil, um, you know, where obviously soccer is king, where um, a a scheme, a system was talked, discussed and talked about at a dinner table where um, players were commodified and treated in a system where um, selling literal humans in terms of athletes on in terms of ownership rights and income was explained to a pair of individuals who don't necessarily understand that because it's not so common in a sporting ecosystem that athletes usually have some sort of agency over their own careers. It, it seems like these two owners, once they scratched the surface um, and realized that there could potentially be a way station in this country for athletes to be moved through onto Europe or, or other soccer ecosystems, um, realized that there was potential for, um, you know, their hands to be involved in that. Moreover, they have begun to use, and again, I'm specifically talking about the Teamsters, they moreover seem to be using um, appropriated supporter language. They seem to be using community-focused language from clubs that are more successful. Cedra, cedra. I'm, I'm not going to uh, beat this whole, <laughs> beat this dead horse, huh? And but what I mean is this is what NISA is allowing in. Now, they are not competing with NISA they, within NISA. They are on the table. They don't have um, friendly schedule. They don't have a roster. They're still they've now have a UWS side that they're going to um, compete with. But the Teamsters are an example of what NISA is going to allow in. And that scares me to death because up to this point, we had Atlanta Pro. And Atlanta Pro was the Teamsters before the Teamsters, and they died a quick death, rightfully so, because they were playing uh, Miami FC in a park with no stands and literal um, construction cones for corner flags. That is not what professional soccer in this country needs to be. We need to hold ourselves to a standard and we need to promote 
more soccer may be better soccer if more soccer is being done right. Teamsters aren't. And if that's what Nisa is going to allow in just because they hit specific standards, that is scary. Oh my goodness, is that scary. All right. That said, everything else Nisa is doing is correct. Let me explain. This partnership with UWS, I, in our Slack channel and maybe on Twitter and some other places, I immediately bit into it with, I mean, one of my most ardent, um, this is ridiculous, I can't believe Nisa is doing this, and I talked to people that are much, much smarter than I am, and every single one of them talked me off the ledge and explained to me this move, and I have so much more faith in it. I don't completely understand it. I don't know what it's going to look like um, when it's fully actualized, but I believe that everybody's heart is in the right place. All the way down to um, Jeremy, the GM currently at Chattanooga, when he was talking to the 109 guys. Sorry, Jim. Um, he <laughs> went on and mentioned how the they are not going to not do women's soccer right this time. It's not happening. I, it's a little frustrating maybe that they haven't invested as much into it. But to hear him say out loud the things that he said about um, women aren't sleeping on the floor, women are not being treated like second, um, you know, second, secondhand citizens. Uh, it's going to be equal. We're, we're going to do it right. If that's the way men's teams are going to be looking at this partnership with the UWS and, and we'll eventually get to the women's side of that that's at least a very smart club one of the best um if not one of the two or three best amateur and i know they're professional now i'm just saying if that's how they're looking at the professional women's game then they're they're starting off at least on the right foot is it happening several years too late and is it happening when they had something in house that was almost a half-baked per perfect product unto itself. Yes, unfortunately. But, okay, let's at least say that they're not going to put a half-assed product out there just to put it out there. I think there's something to be said to that. Okay, nonetheless. Um, I also want to say Nisa, eh, except for maybe the Michigan Stars. Actually, maybe not except the Michigan Stars. Um, we're doing very, very well with no problematic ownership. It seems like all of the ownership in Nisa right now is in it for the right reasons, and and their hearts are truly in it. They're it's it they believe in soccer. You don't necessarily see Nisa clubs coming in um, on the back of real estate deals. That counts for something. I think Peter Wilt does count for something too. Peter Wilt, if nothing else creates soccer supporters. He literally was just paid for US by USL not to create teams, to create supporters. <laughs> the way he was doing it, I didn't agree with. He definitely had some weird uh, means to the ends and and I debated him on Twitter. I know Jim did. I know uh, uh, NGS did. It they, they what he was getting paid to do was extremely weird. But the fact is, is he's so good at it. He was creating supporters. And if you really, really have to take one step back and ask what's the biggest problem in Nisa right now, it's the fact that there's two supporter groups and that's it. 
There's like one dude for New Amsterdam, and I know nothing about anybody else. So if he can go in there and, and create a supporter culture on the back of what was by far undoubtedly the two best amateur supporter groups in this country, that counts for something. All right, and here's my third point. Again, if I could, I would run away from a buy-sell uh, uh, short on this and, and bet my money on just a, a coin flip or a roulette table, but I'm going to buy. And I think this is the thing that really, really convinces me on this. USL League One, if, if you consider this the, the competing league with NISA, if you look across League One at the ownerships, there's no cohesion. None of them mean anything to each other. It is this like paint by color. Um, where's my little ticky tacky box? Everybody looks the same. The websites look the same. Our graphics, dude, the crests look the same. You look at the Triumph and the Red Wolves and tell me that there wasn't some, you know, 17 year old in high school on MS, MS Paint just creating these crests. Everything is just nice, nice, neat coming out of the box. It's it's a, a prefab sold by Sears and Roebuck. You know, here here's your here's your franchise, right? But at the same time, nobody means anything to each other. Literally, it seems like the most amount of controversy and like sporting um, disagreement we've seen is between Omaha and Greenville. Basically, when Greenville was saying, like, why'd you get COVID and we couldn't have a championship game? Yeah, like, that doesn't mean anything. So even though USL is supposed to be this, um, you know, uh, everybody is um, together on the same page and, and we're all the same, it just gets uh, grayscaled to a certain degree. And I think what NISA has that USL League One doesn't is despite their mission being, I mean, it's literally in the name, independence, those owners truly seem to care about each other and the mission of the league. Something that I didn't actually believe at first. And I mean, maybe now that the Roots have left, maybe now that Miami has left, you see New Amsterdam, you see Maryland, you see the way that Chattanooga and Detroit are kind of starting to go at each other now that they are on the same table, now that they play each other regularly, not just in friendlies, not just in, um, you know, we're buddies, but, but the fans, the supporters, the owners, they truly are promoting, even though they are, you know, supposed to be independent they actually seem more cohesive and on the same page than that grayscaled ownership on USL League One that the more and more they pop up just seem to be there for these real estate deals. If you were a soccer-driven club that wants to move up, if you are a soccer-driven ownership that wants to buy into, I mean, you just look at what three of the most passionate lower league fans in this country care about, and they're buying into U.S. soccer right now. If an owner wants, has a stupid amount of money and wants to buy into this, and you look at USL League One and you, you know, it's clean, it's, it's 
package. It's on ESPN Plus. You get you get your uh, you know NBC Sports or your your uh, Sports Engine website, whatever it is. But do they care about soccer? Does Providence when when Providence is looking at this opportunity zone, do they actually care about soccer? Tormenta as they build out their uh, you know soccer specific stadium are they doing it for the league one team or are they doing it for their academy and their the college and the ability to host a youth soccer tournaments there these are debates that i think ownerships as they begin to assess and again i think the one or two million dollar expansion fee is just it, it it's pennies it, it means nothing to anybody that's not the big deal. I don't think anybody who is willing to drop $2 million or have to pay, if, if they really think their club's going to exist, um, an extra $500,000 or whatever it is per season into league fees, that's going to even out ex- very, very quickly. But to have your peers when you go to that AGM passionately talk, that's something NISA has that USL doesn't. As long as they continue, or as long as they start to vet the Teamsters out. Mm. Goodness. Come on, Nisa, figure this out. You know what? I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving. I'm not fucking leaving! All right, Colton. Buy, sell short, USSF. Ooh, as a whole, in its current incarnation, I am going to have to sell USSF. And I know that sounds counterintuitive when I'm buying all of the leagues within its system, but I think that's because USSF to this point has greatly benefited from just how deeply tied into all of these leagues they are. And I think what you're seeing is is Nisa, who isn't really tied into USSF the same way as these other leagues, succeeding, which sort of undermines USSF's position of, well, we're helping get great TV deals and we're helping you know make revenue for you guys and we're helping keep this pyramid afloat. Are you really if this league doesn't need you? Um, you're seeing USL start to toy around with a multi-level thing, right? Which is going to require, if they want to do Perel, some sort of rewrite of the PLS which would also then further loosen USSF's hold as sort of the primary stakeholder here. And then I think even at MLS, I think ultimately, I know there's a lot of crossover between MLS and USSF in terms of the board members, in terms of Garber, and sort of the power he has over this whole thing. Ultimately, the owners of MLS and Garber and the like are beholden to one group of people. And it is not USSF. It is themselves. And if they see an opportunity, and we had this conversation about sort of this sum and an MLS and the TV deals, right, uh, you know, in our Slack chat, um, if you are able to get a better TV deal away from some in USSF, I don't think Don Garber would hesitate for a second to make more money at the expense of USSF sort of, you know, solo bid process where they just automatically win. I think if he smells an extra couple hundred million on the table, that that whole sort of co-investment thing goes out the window. So I think USSF was in the unenviable position of they were sort of in charge of this whole thing with their fingers in a little bit of everything. 
And now sort of the stuff that their fingers are in are realizing we don't really need you here. And we're starting to realize that we can maybe even do a little bit better without you. And I don't think that that's going to get any less true. I think if anything, especially as MLS does this whole under 22 initiative that they're trying to pull off Mm -hmm. and bring in more talent to sell elsewhere and start of sort of diversify the revenue stream away from some, all of a sudden you're looking at your prime, you know, your crime, your prime crash cash, cash crop here, not really needing you anymore. So where does USSF have to go but down? Jim? Yeah, I, the, the one, I, I get all that. The, the one thing I have to say, the, the properties of USSF are really like the men's national team, the women's national team, the, the youth national teams. All of those I think I'm still very positive about. Even, even the men's team I, I think has a, is, an, is in an upward trajectory right now. So all of those properties I think are doing, are doing well. They've kind of sold off their um, the the youth development stuff to MLS, and and so you know I, I I'm a little worried about that. And then I think Colton's right the the other leagues or the leagues now now NWSL doesn't is not going to look to them the same way. And MLS, I mean MLS tells them what to do. So um, yeah, I don't know. It's it, so it is a mixed bag for me. I think the 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 national teams, which are uh, um, certainly connected to the federation, I think both are. I'm still very positive about them, and but uh, but the affiliations with the nat- with the with the professional leagues, uh, I'm I'm worried about just like with Colton. So I don't know. I I don't really know. I don't know if I would sell, but I don't know if I'm really that. In that excited to buy either, and I know that I'm waffling on this, but um, so yeah, I, I I don't know, I don't know, Tim. Um, yeah, I I think I that's know. an acceptable answer. I, I think we can continue to talk through it. Is there something that the Fed could do that, to change your opinion? If if the Fed if um, on the back of the next uh, national board election came in and revolutionized PLS, would, would that change your opinion? Um, I mean, it certainly would help if, if the, if they adjusted the PLS to really open up the possibilities for additional people to be involved in the professional game, you know, I, 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 that would make me feel better about them. Um, you know, I, I don't know if we're, if we're treating them like a, you know, like a company, uh, you know, the, the, the properties that they have, uh, that are, um, that are, uh, well, at least important to me, the national teams are still really good and, and I think are, will trend in the, in, in the positive direction, but their mismanagement of the entire professional game does give me a lot of pause. So if they if they worked with the leagues and created a better a better pathway for people to get involved in the game at a, at the professional level, if they did some things that provided equity to the women's um, women's professional leagues in terms of voting, if they did some other things around voting that that encouraged you know the state associations and other associations to have a little more say, 
maybe I would be a firm buy, but uh, I don't see any of that happening because it, you know, it's all to the detriment of of the pro council, which is basically MLS, and the and the professional players council, which is you know people who I don't know they're, they're waiting for their next TV deal. So, um, yeah, I still don't know. I, I maybe a week, a very a very weak buy if you're going to push me to go one way or the other. So I actually completely agree with you, Jim. I would be a buy also, um, which may, may be my second. I, I think when I was hashing this out in my own mind, I was kind of shocked that that's where I landed. And I would say that this is actually a buy in the face of unbelievable incompetence, if, if I could say that in any other way. I think this is almost like a um, Elon Musk um, esque buy because I think USSF is the sort of inventor that goes on Joe Rogan and, and smokes a massive amount of marijuana while he continues to just uh, talk crap about everything in the world and um, investors look at uh, you know Telsa and and you know, is, is wondering why their self-driving cars are killing, um, you know, black individuals because they can't read skin color. And, and yet the stock price just continues to go up. And again, if this was just a cold, hard uh, monetary decision, I just, I don't think USSF has any um, direction to go, but up and due to no decision-making of their own. And again, allow me to explain. Um, there are sports in this country that I think are on the decline. Baseball is going to continue to be regionalized. It's going to be continued to be marginalized in national coverage. I actually think baseball is going to begin to look more like soccer than anybody realizes. Um, cities, towns are going to begin to have their team and a and. Um, individuals in uh, New England are going to have no idea what is happening on a day-to-day -day basis with the um, Oakland A's or the Seattle Mariners. I think much like you've seen the um, contraction of boxing, of horse racing, which used to be massive national sports in this country, you're going to see sports such as um, hockey, I think, is going to continue to contract. I think you're going to continue to see um, outlier sports that had begun to make a um, crack in the national conscious um, just completely fall off to the wayside, whether that be extreme sports or um, the minor leagues of other sports that um, the NBDL, things of that nature, that um, at one point in time, maybe at the beginning of the wild, wild west of streaming, um, when live events looked like they might have a premium placed on them, uh, that they, they're just going to die off. Um, they're going to exist, but not in terms of the national conscious. And Soccer will persist. Soccer, um, the, the fact that it is the world sport, that um, international soccer, not necessarily on like a um, World Cup stage, but um, um, the, the rights to the Premier League. Oh, my God. 
does Peacock suck? But if um, the next time the Premier League rights in America go up for sale, I think you're going to see the craziest bidding war for that. Uh, CBS is actually doing okay with the Champions League. Um, you're seeing the Bundesliga and some of the ancillary European leagues. I, I somebody just picked up the Belgium League. Was it ESPN? Uh, you're you're starting to see international soccer uh, have uh, its day in the in the um, in the sun, and that's going to trickle down and trickle across and the only recipient of all that attention because the ussf is soccer in this country is is the ussf um i do think the u.s women's national team is going to suffer i think the um, attention that is being given to uh, the u.s men's players that have gone overseas um christian pulisic you know, Dest, the, these team, these players that are now playing at major European clubs. I think it's the shine on the turd that has become the U.S. men's national team. And I just continue to expect them to suffer and not do well on an international stage. I, just, I don't know if that matters. Um, the one thing that I do think on the back thing on the back side that USSF is starting to figure out is diversity and inclusion. I have been so down on their efforts. Um, they created this task force almost uh, six years ago that literally never met and never made a single recommendation. And I think in the face of the social justice, equality and inclusion efforts that um, undoubtedly bubbled up during the pandemic because we all had nothing to do but look ourselves in the mirror and admit to ourselves how just shitty we have done in that avenue. I think they are going to address that. And I do think that'll make a difference. It is going to take decades to um, reap those benefits and to really see the, the seeds that we've sown during this. But I also think uh, if, if, this was a, a, a stonk. This was a stock. The price of it is so low now. USSF would basically be somewhere between GameStop and Blockbuster right now. And so I will buy it just on a lark to see where it goes because I don't think there's anywhere for it to go but up and not necessarily because of its own efforts and because of what it's done well. Um, but I... I Again, might be shocking, but I'm going to buy a little bit of USS stock. Look, George, this is the way it goes. Sometimes you're flush and sometimes you're bust. And when you're up, it's never as good as it seems. And when you're down, you never think you're going to be up again. But life goes on. Remember that. Money isn't real, George. Doesn't matter. It only seems like it does. Jim, mm -hmm. talk to me. Are you buying, selling, or shorting MLS. Yeah, so I, I've done nothing but buy. And so partially just for that reason, because I want to talk about something else, I'm going to say sell. But I'm going to say sell for not really a reason. I'm looking at MLS, and I think it is way overvalued right now. So I want to, t I want to make a little bit of money and wait for it to wait for it to correct a little bit, and then 
uh, and then maybe I'll get back in because I, I I just cannot I don't see where the valuation of these clubs is coming from. I just don't I don't understand. I know that I know that some of it is because the owners get to buy into some and that's part of it, but it is just insane. And I just I just do at some point that just feels like a bubble to me. And so I'm going to sell right now and wait for things to wait for the market correction to come and then I'll buy. Yeah, I actually think it, it's funny. I, I My initial reaction was buy just because I think with the consolidation of the youth game that they've got going on, I think there's a lot of money in that. I think we've seen there's there's an increasing amount of money in that as European teams sort of realize the market inefficiency um, and how cheap American players are versus their potential talent level. Um, but I think that you know, until that fully realizes with MLS next. And and honestly, I mean, I think we all hate that it's through MLS next and that they're sort of monopolizing it that way. Yep. Um, until that has some time to mature and develop a little bit more, you're still going to be riding the coattails of Dallas, who just seems to produce right backs, like just from <laughs> nothing. And, and, you know, think and organizations like the Red Bulls who have been really historically strong at producing Academy talent. You're not going to see that pervade for, a good 10 years yet. Um, but when you mentioned sort of why you're selling in terms of, in terms of it being overvalued, all I can think of is Charlotte FC. Yes. And them paying that massive expansion fee, right? Which t- for Tepper, nothing. That's nothing for him. He's a multi-billionaire. He can afford it. Um, but immediately looking to monetize that right off the bat, right with this with this whole PSL fiasco, the the fourth most expensive season ticket in the league without a soccer specific stadium with no players signed, it's it's insane. And you're seeing more and more of that trying to just grab as much revenue as you can. And I think what people are realizing is the teams coming in aren't going to be Atlanta every time. Atlanta was a was a freak case that just happened to go the way it did. You know, you're going to see a lot more, you're going to see a lot more Charlotte's, a lot more Nashville to its credit, which did, which did very, very well to open, but I think is going to, you know, hover around a 25 to 30,000 regular attendance sort of thing, which is good, but not Atlanta. And you're going to realize that these spots, while they're selling for 350 million while MLS is growing, and I think they'll continue to do that up to 40 or more teams, whatever, those spots aren't worth that much money. And there's a very limited number of multi-billionaires who are willing to pay that in a market that's desirable for MLS and then lose money for a while until they get some dividends out of it. And so I think I would agree with you that you'd have to sell right now just because you still have guys paying $350 million. But ultimately, I think that is going to correct and I think I think it's a short-term correction because I think the overall direction is that MLS next play, and that's gonna pay dividends, but not right now. So get out now, wait for it to go down, wait till you start seeing those first tricklings of real academy sales over to Europe, and then jump back on board. Yeah, buy the dip. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Is there anything MLS has done? Um, that you think is innovative in the past couple of years? Does does the academy move the needle for you? Does the markets that's um, what we often hear about MLS going into like version one, version two, version three. Um, you know, if, if we were to debate 
these it's a single entity franchise, if you can even call it a franchise. What is the next MLS club to move? What what, what is the Columbus to Austin that's on the horizon, Jim? Oh, I, I don't know, but I was gonna say what they you know, they they, they created that that spray stuff you put it on the ground the lines where they mark the ball and then they mark the 10 yards that was really innovative like the epl <laughs> the epl the everybody does that now and that started in mls i thought that's where you were going with the question but but then let's you went, bring back the uh, goalie wars the goalie <laughs> oh love them <laughs> so uh the next team to move i don't know i mean is that something that we have to is, is that something MLS has to worry about? Um, I, you know, I think there is a growing pain that happens with almost any professional league, NFL, uh, Cleveland to Baltimore, um, you know, Houston to Nashville. Uh, you look at Major League Baseball, you've got clubs that have, I mean, for a hundred years moved across the country. Is, is that bound to happen with MLS? Yes. Yes, because that's that's a sports in the United States. I mean, nobody's tied nobody's tied to a a city. They're tied to wherever they can get their mess, their next deal. I mean, you talk you talk about the movement in NFL like it's a long time ago. I mean, our our buddy Stan just moved the team to L.A. So, um, and and the Raiders just moved to Las Vegas. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that's I I don't. Yes, it's it's going to happen. I don't know if it's going to be. Real Salt Lake. I don't know. I don't know if that situation is. I, I haven't followed it, so I don't know if that mm-hmm. situation has settled. That settled down. Hell, Cronky may move Colorado for all I know. I mean, he likes moving. Uh, he likes screwing up pr- uh, franchises and clubs. So, um, <laughs> there's a little Arsenal content for you. Um, and you know, Montreal. I mean, I don't. I don't know what's going on with them. Mm-hmm. Club to foot. I mean, what the hell is that? So, it's I a mean, bad I, name. I. I uh, <laughs> Uh, so I, the short answer is yes, they have to worry about that. Or I don't know if ML, I don't know if MLS worries about it, but fans, supporters need to worry about it because yeah, it, the the owners will look to. There are very few who who feel um, connected to their community, in my opinion. Yeah, hold on, because 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 here's here's the thing with that because I, I feel like I'm 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 maybe slightly more tuned in here to who's likely to move and what's going on there. Right. So for, first you just like pull your Redditor, uh, oh, you know, as, as the moderator, of the <laughs> community, um, you know, pull down and, your wallet and just slap that down on the table. Just like, listen yeah, to I, me. Simple. I, I send the, you know, I send the occasional text to grant wall. What do you want from me? Um, so the, the real Salt Lake's not moving. They're going to get bought by that guy who just bought the jazz. So they're, they're, they're where they are. However, I agree that there's always going to be teams moving. And the reason is because of American sports, right? It is a, it is a single entity system. There's a limited number of spots. And the only, sometimes the only way to get where you want to go, if there's not an investor in that market, is by letting somebody else take that spot, right? I think where you're going to see that happen next, I think, I think they learned a bit from Columbus, right? I think they learned that you, if you don't really have a reason fans are going to be able to see through blatant sabotage like what pre-court was doing to Columbus to justify a move. Mm-hmm. So you need to look for real opportunity where where the club is struggling. Even if the fans don't want it to happen, if you can at least justify it, it doesn't really matter to MLS, right? And that's that's a that's a failing of MLS and a lot of the hatred stems from that. Um, Vancouver and Montreal. 
um, partially because I think as Canada continues to develop, there's going to be an increasing call for these, you know, teams to nationalize to Canada and for the U.S. leagues to become more U.S.-centric. Um, Are you saying that in, in the face of the potential Liga MX? I am, I am saying that because I think they could not give two craps less about Canada. Um, <laughs> because I think Victor Montagliani, who's the CONCACAF president, obviously, was the former Canadian Soccer Association president. The CPL is his baby. It was his brainchild before he left for CONCACAF. He wants nothing more than to see it succeed. And we saw the effects of that when the Ottawa Fury shut down, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was a casualty of that battle. That was straight up Victor Montagliani not wanting to let Ottawa play in the U.S. because they were shunning his his baby. Um, And I think you have these MLS teams in Montreal and Vancouver who have ownership groups that are not supremely dedicated to spending money. Vancouver got super lucky and made a fortune on Alfonso Davies just out of sheer luck. They're not producing that regularly. And Montreal, we know that that Saputo, aside from his investment in, you know, Bologna over in um Italy, he's he's losing, I think he said like 10 million a year on Montreal. And that's not sustainable. And I think ultimately you're not going to see Montreal move. What you might see is is Saputo sell those MLS rights. Because he got in pretty cheap with Montreal, you know, a decade ago. Mm-hmm. And he could sell those at the going rate now, make a hefty, hefty, you know, hundreds of millions of dollar profit. Take that Montreal branding, if MLS allows him, I, just, I assume he'd, you know, work that out in the buyout, and go play in CPL. Lower his investments. Sell that spot to, uh, I'm going to be selfish here and say Pittsburgh deserves an MLS team. Sell that spot to Pittsburgh. Um but I think that's where you're going to see the next moves. You're going to see MLS owners who really aren't in it for the long term try to get out. And Montreal and Vancouver are the two obvious candidates to me. Colin, is there any truth in the potential Super League with Liga MX? Honestly, it's it's to me, it's not a matter of if it's it's going to happen. It's it's going to happen. I don't think the only chance of it not happening is if FIFA was going to stand in the way, and they're not going to because they couldn't stand in the way of that. And then justify the you know the proposed Benelux League over in over in Europe. How, how do you justify one and not the other? And I, I don't think they're interested in doing that. They already let Mexico get rid of ProRel. You know, I, I think that ultimately, if it if it makes FIFA a ton of money and it popularizes the game in North America, which is you know still a supremely untapped market for them, they do not care about the the national boundary rules that they have. Is it a test case for a potential uh, pan-European Super League? Um, not from FIFA, anyway. Maybe from the people who want that European Super League, but I think we've seen UEFA is already pretty strongly opposed to that. And I think UEFA has such a strong block in FIFA that I don't think you ever see FIFA really get behind it. So uh, for myself, I, um, again... When, when it comes to Wall Street, when it comes to stonks, um, I think you have to completely put your personal feelings and your morals and your um, social uh, conscience to the side. Um, I'm, I'm going to buy MLS um, uh, again for the immediate future. Um, I, there is not a single entity, uh, no pun intended, in this country that I agree less with 
than MLS. I actually agree. Uh, just like Jim mentioned earlier, that I actually don't blame USL for what they do. I blame the Fed for allowing USL to do what they do because USL does what they are allowed to do extremely well. Um, I think MLS is that overlord, even over USSF. Um, and they, you know, I, for better or worse, they still have room to grow. I actually do believe MLS will eventually have pro rel. And what they will do is they will create an MLS one and they will create an MLS two. They will create commercial revenues based on the um, false and manufactured drama of, of having those clubs move up and down between these an uh, open system in a closed system. I think this is what USL is going to do first. And then MLS is going to do it when they hit that magic number 40, maybe 38, maybe 36. Um, the, uh, the expansion fees that continue to be paid for new clubs in this country is just mind-boggling, and I don't necessarily mean just in soccer. I would imagine the closest proxy at the moment for soccer in this country is probably the NHL. I, I know it's not apples to apples 100%, but I whether you're looking at TV ratings or commercial revenues or whatever you want to look at, and I know there are some Canadian clubs where that sporting culture is just fundamentally different, but I think you're going to eventually find there are MLS clubs that replicate the uh, uh, fervor for soccer in this country that the Canadian clubs do. So whether, and I'm not making predictions, I'm just throwing this out there, but whether it be Latinx supported clubs such as the uh, Dynamo or if, I, I mean, goodness gracious, if Inner Miami ever actually figures out what they're doing and, and they kind of become a darling of the South Florida Latinx community, I, I think you're going to see a similar I, I don't know what else to describe it as except for fervor and embracing of those clubs as a fundamental expression of culture in those cities, just as you do in the um, Canadian NHL clubs. But you look at what the fee that the Seattle Krakens just got. I had to literally triple check, triple Wikipedia, ESPN, Ancient, and Business to make sure that there wasn't a typo on what that expansion fee was. You're going to see soccer continue to creep across this country like manifest destiny and, and warrant expansion fees that don't even come close to what the Seattle Kraken just paid, but still persist enough to get to the number 40. I don't care what Don Garber just said. Don Garber just put David Tepper on a pedestal and shot him in front of clubs that know damn well they deserve that club well before Charlotte does. NCFC will end up with an MLS club. There's no way Steve Malik is building what he is about to build in downtown Raleigh without knowing for a fact that there is a ticking time bomb on his MLS expansion spot. And there are other markets that know the exact same thing, whether it be Phoenix, Las Vegas. You can't tell me that Las Vegas will not be able to recreate in some form or fashion 
what um, Atlanta United has within the new Allegiant, what the Raiders have built. I'm not saying it's going to be the same level of passion, but you can't tell me that they won't be able to sell that out in a similar way. And don't tell me the lights are, you know, some sort of detriment to that. So nonetheless, I hate MLS and I will buy them because I want my daughter to go to a private school instead of a state school. That's what all this is about. A lot has changed in the past 300 years. People are no longer obsessed with the accumulation of things. We have eliminated hunger, want, the need for possessions. We've grown out of our infancy. You've got it all wrong. It has never been about possessions. It's about power. Power to do what? To control your life, your destiny. All right. Guys, to wrap up this podcast, we are going to go into a lightning round. I have three questions picked out specifically for the, each of you. But to throw you a further um, twist in the road, I've added a, what, what is that? One, two, three, four, five, a sixth buy, uh, sell, or short. Um, so you have about 30 seconds to a minute to answer this Um Colton, how do you feel about the NCAA soccer? Oh, oh college soccer. You're going to hit me with that. You got 60 um, seconds. Go. All right, let's go. Uh, it is a sport with no future in an increasingly professionalized environment in, colleg- in collegiate sports in general. Um, you already see colleges cutting it that are still, even you know, in the pandemic, turning a massive profit off of football, um, still cutting those programs regardless of whether or not they're losing the massive amounts of money. They're just looking to get out of them no matter what. I think as the adult amateur men's game grows in this country, the need for it gets less and less. More kids are going to academies younger and fewer. And you're honestly not seeing the best players go to college anymore. They're already in academies. They're already playing for teams you know whether the usl or mls level so my my take that's that's a short i'm betting on that to fail jim yeah i i don't uh i don't see a a real need for it in terms of a a competitive soccer so for for people who want to play and they want to play in school like the d2 d3 naia I, i think that's fine but as a as a as a collegiate ncaa major collegiate sport um it's it's dying a slow death. Uh, the men's game will go first. I think the women's game has a little more staying power. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a definite it's a definite sell for me. Jim, do you think the women's lower leagues will affect that staying power at all? Uh, if if they go if they go pro, like if if there are women's pro lower leagues, or are you talking about the am, the amateur? Yeah, at a, at a D three or D two level. Yeah, I, th- I think that'll. Yeah, I, I do think that will have an impact on the on the women's game. Those players that I mean, I don't know if it will have a huge impact because I'm not sure the money that's going to be paid out in those leagues is going to be worth you know skipping college um, completely. But uh, it'll have it should it should have some impact. All right, continuing on with our lightning round, Colton, what NISA club in the next ten years will become the next Chattanooga or Detroit? Hmm. I'm going to go with Cal United. Um, wow. I think okay. I think if they can get the if that's contingent on Nisa getting the West Coast all settled, mm-hmm. but I think top to bottom, there may be teams that do better on the field than them, and there may be teams that do better off the field than them. But there's no team that does each part as well as 
they do both parts. Are they going to be able to create a supporter culture? Given time, I think they can. I think if they learn some lessons from Peter Wilt in Detroit and Chattanooga, I think they certainly could. Jim, before the NPSL uh, sinks to the bottom of the ocean because their rotting husk of a corpse is letting off gases and that's just what natural, you know, like a dead freaking whale just sinks to the bottom of the ocean. Before that happens, um, is there an NPSL club you would like to latch onto and bring into NISA? An NPSL club to bring into NISA? Uh, yes, sir. Well, um, AFC Mobile. I like the guys hmm. down there. I like, you know, I like, uh, I, you know, I, I like what they do. Um, it's, it's, it would be in, in hell. We need somebody in the Southeast to play Colton what women's club on the back of the UWS NISA partnership collaboration would you be excited to see add an men's side what women's team would I be excited to add a men's side yes sir oh you flipped me around there I was expecting the other question um hmm. that's misogynistic it is misogynistic <laughs> I'm so sorry um I'm telling you like to see uh, you know, she she hears my my bull crap all day. That's the last thing she wants anymore. She's probably as tired cat. of soccer. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> Whichever the, one's going to be more disappointed in you. You got the older ones. Uh, all, right, all right, all right, all right, all um, right. This is going to be funny because they had a men's team, um, and then it turned into another men's team, and then died. Uh, let's bring back Lansing United as a men's team at at, at an actual level, at a NISA level. Lansing Common. Jim, what USL club would you like to see rebrand and move to NISA? So championship or league one? Either or. They they do have to drop their branding and rebrand because, you know, IP and all that. Uh, But But they retain supporters and ownership. Retain supporters and ownership. So the obvious one is Madison. I think everybody expects folks to say Madison, but I'm going to say Louisville. If if uh, if Louisville would, would be willing, they're not. I mean, this is absolutely yeah, insane. Yeah, yeah. But uh, Louisville, I would say Louisville. Colton, why does Peter Wilt continue to promote USL? Because Peter Wilt is the most pragmatic idealist in U.S. soccer. The dude has his ideals. They are the only things that matter to him. He does not care which organization you are a part of. If you can forward those ideals, he is happy to work with you, promote you, whatever. The dude just wants to create soccer teams and fans. Jim, why will Mikel Arteta take Arsenal to a Champions League championship? Oh, why will they? Why will he take one to us to the to win it? Yes. Oh, because uh, he has amazing hair, and and I don't know how he does that, and 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 players will flock to to that salad. Jim Colton, thank you guys so much for joining me. Um, I hope everybody out there who has been debating on the back of their GameStop losses are U.S. soccer stonks. I, I feel that you will no doubt be. Um, taking in this podcast just as you do your wall street journals and such um jim colton thank you both i appreciate you um 
Uh, Colton, real quick, I know uh, everybody knows where to find Jim, but Colton, where can they find you on the uh, the different socials? So if, if you if you go to Jim's Twitter and you look in his replies, um, I'm the guy arguing with him, um, or any NGS person, or the NGS account, whatever. I'm just arguing with people. Um, I'm on Twitter, CJ Qureshi. Um, that's the primary place I am. I occasionally write some stuff for Sock Takes, but uh, I just like arguing with people on Twitter. That's where you'll find me. You can also find them on Reddit, um, standing for different MLS causes. And of course, you guys can always find Jim on the 423 Soccer Podcast and across the different uh, socials. Colton, Jim, thank you both. We'll be in touch. Thanks. Thank you, buddy. There's no surprise